I'm starting out the new year right. I forgot something. (laughs) Very, very important. We're going to read together from God's Word, and it's in Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to ask you to please stand with us as we read. We're going to read 13 verses from the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And I'd like to start the reading with verse 1 and ask you if you would read responsively with me. This is God's word. Let's hear it together. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I tremble before this scripture. I, uh, 
It's powerful. I feel like I'm handling dynamite today. In fact, I have to tell you a story. It's a little embarrassing, but I'll tell you anyway. And I had the privilege of preaching from this text down in Resistencia, Argentina, a couple of years ago. And uh, I was preaching through an interrupter, if you know what that's like. And uh, it took twice as long. I don't know exactly what he was saying. All I know is when I was done preaching on this text from Isaiah 6, that a man who had recently got saved came up and gave, gave me the biggest hug I have ever had in my life. And then he picked me up and walked around with me. My wife was terrified. She thought he was going to do that to her next. I was terrified. I didn't know what to think. So I just don't know what's going to happen when I preach from this text. Uh, What I am praying will happen is that you will meet the Lord in this text. Well, I think I'm just going to preach from the microphone here, Matt. Okay, there we go. I feel liberated. (laughs) Get rid of that thing. So, I need prayer, you need prayer. I believe that we can meet with God in the text of Scripture. I'm praying that we will, that you will, that we will all have an epiphany today, a Christophany that we will meet Christ in the Word, and that he will forever change us. And that the year 2018 will be the best year of your life, because you have met with the Lord here today. That's a lot to ask. Let's, let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord. Fathers, we open the Word of God. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us. We all need you in unique and personal ways, but your Holy Spirit is able to apply this word to each individual heart. You know what we need. Some here need to be saved. Some need a fresh vision. Lord, I pray, that you would do your work through your word in our time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah was a great prophet. Listen to the words of his prophecy. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I could go on and on with the wonderful words that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophet Isaiah, the golden-tongued prophet. What a great prophetic messenger of the Most High God.
What a golden tongue. But he didn't start out as a golden-tongued prophet. According to his testimony, given here in kind of a testimony flashback, he's, he's been preaching to the nation of Israel, his people. But in chapter 6, he flashes back to his personal testimony of his encounter with God that forever changed in life, his life and made a prophet out of him. Because he started out with a dirty mouth. He started out with a filthy mouth. And the message of Isaiah 6 is that God can take a man or a woman, a boy or a girl with a dirty mouth and clean it up. And they can use that mouth to speak his word. That's the testimony of Isaiah in chapter 6. I remember my own father giving his testimony of how he had brought up, been brought up in church and was a good church boy and all that. Went off to Bible Institute to learn how to help people. And he got saved. He didn't find out until he got off in Bible Institute that he was a sinner that needed a Savior. Up to that point, he thought he was a good boy that wanted to help people. Found out he was a sinner and needed a Savior. Changed his life. God opened his eyes. He saw the Lord. He saw his need. And then God called him to preach. And even opened his eyes to my mother. He claims it had something to do with his new glasses, but I don't know. After he got saved, he saw my mother for the first time. And what a help she was to him in 40 years of pastoral ministry. I'm praying that God will open your eyes today, that you will see God in a new way. Isaiah did what he did because he saw what he saw. Isaiah was blessed by God with the upward look, the inward look, and the outward look. And if you're taking notes, that's my three points. Isaiah had the upward look. He saw the Lord. He had the inward look. He saw himself And he had the outward look. He saw the world in which he lived. So, today, when you have a new vision of God, of yourself and of the world, you will do what God wants you to do, and you will say what God wants you to say. Isaiah did what he did because he saw what he saw. What was his situation Well, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. What kind of a king was King Uzziah? He was a great king. Uh, He was a good king. He was considered to be the last of the good kings of Israel. And during his time, the nation of Israel prospered and had peace. Fifty-two years he was the king. Then he got out of whack and had to be disciplined by God with leprosy, and then eventually he died. You know, leadership change can be difficult for a nation, for a family, for a church. You see, change is a problem. When that person you have trusted to lead you is gone, 
Then you have a crisis of faith. When God pulls the rug out from under you, there better be His rock underneath. Because sooner or later, your Isaiah is going to die. Maybe the death of a loved one. Maybe the loss of that great job. Maybe a divorce. Maybe a move. Whatever traumatic loss you go through is intended by God and His sovereign will to open your eyes to know Him in a new way through your brokenness. How does God take the hard heart out of us and put in a heart of flesh? He does it by breaking our hearts in ways that are unique to us. So, in the year that King Isaiah died, he says, I saw the Lord. Isaiah was no longer on the throne, but the Lord was still on the throne. He says, I saw the Lord, and he really did. What was he doing? He was seated on a throne, high and exalted. God is still on the throne, and he dwells on the highest throne in the universe, higher than the U.S. Supreme Court, higher than the White House, higher than your own indomitable will, is God who sits on the throne. And the train or the hem of his robe filled the temple. (laughs) Isaiah is down there by the hem, you know? That's down pretty low. My wife and I went to a concert one time at the Academy of Music in Philadelphia, and I got these really great seats. Well, they looked great online. They were right on the front row. It was great front row seats in the Academy of Music for the Philadelphia Orchestra. And there was a pianist who was doing wonderful solo work, and we were sitting right next to his socks. <laughs> under the piano. I mean, that, you know, it was like they were terrible seats, you know? Oh, boy. And that's kind of the kind of seats that are standing that Isaiah has. He's, he's down by the hem of the robe. And the hem of the robe of the Lord, God of hosts, filled the temple. Wow. He's high and lifted up, isn't he? Yes, there is a temple. And this is the heavenly temple. After which the earthly tabernacle of Moses was made according to the model that he had been shown. There is a heavenly temple. And he has a vision of the Lord in the heavenly temple. The invisible God who dwells in the invisible temple has now been made manifest and revealed to Isaiah the prophet. Because unless God chooses to reveal himself, there is no way that we can see him with our physical eyes. He sees the seraphs, the burning ones, and these angels are calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts or the Lord God of armies to be more literal in our translation. Yes. Interesting. As someone said, the angels were not saying love, love, love. Why? Because the foundational attribute of God is holiness. That is his foundational attribute. And until you understand his holiness, you will never appreciate his love. 
We hear a lot today about the Holy Spirit. And in many places, when people get the Holy Spirit, He makes them do all kinds of crazy stuff. But I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit will not make you any crazier than you are. But He will make you a lot holier than you are. And the mark of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is an increase in holy living. Living that is separate from sin and separated unto God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of armies. God has an army. He's got an army of angels. I don't know. What's the government finding out about these UFOs? I don't know. Uh, But there are unidentified flying objects in this text. They're called seraphim. They've got six wings, and they only need two of them to fly. They are the angelic ones created by God. There are angels all around. When we worship God, we worship Him in holiness, in the presence of the holy angels, according to the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the Corinthians. The angels are observing our worship. The hint here is of the Trinity, the triune God. Holy, holy, holy. The triune God represented here in even the Old Testament. And what are they saying? They're saying the whole earth is full of His glory. How sad it is that so many people, especially scientists who study the heavens and study the earth and study the human body, and yet they do not see that it is all the glory of God in our earth. But I tell you what, when you have met the Lord as Isaiah did, and when you know God, and you know who He is, and you know who you are, and you have the right response to Him, You will see this world in a whole new way and you will see the glory of God everywhere. You will see the glory of God in the fall. You'll see the glory of God in the spring. And you'll even see the glory of God in the winter if you're up north and see the snow, ice, and those kind of things. You think it's cold here? It's not cold. There's glory everywhere. There's glory. And when you know the Lord and you see that sunset, you say, nice job, Lord. I love it. It's beautiful. Thank you. Everything when you see His glory, you see His glory everywhere. That is a truth that was revealed by the angelic worship in the throne room of God. Well, that's what He saw. What did he feel? The doorposts and the thresholds shook. Because God has a way of shaking things up. Amen? There was a whole lot of shaking going on, as one singer used to say. There was shaking at Sinai when the law was given. There was shaking at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the church. God will shake up your life. It will never be the same. When you have met with the true and living God in the Word of God by the Spirit of God, He will change your life. It won't be a matter of, okay, now I've got to change my life. So many people, when they hear about getting saved, 
You're like, I just don't know if I could change my life enough, enough to live up to that. You know, I just don't know if I could change my life. I got news for you. You won't have to change your life. He will change your life. He will change your life. He'll do what needs to be done. And if any of us are living better lives because of Jesus, it's because of what he did, not because what we have done for him. Well, uh, it was shaking and it was smoky. The temple was filled with smoke. Aren't you glad that the restaurants aren't smoky anymore? How many of you glad? I'm glad. I'm glad. Because even when they had the no smoking section, you could still smell it. You know what I'm saying? And it was, it's so nice that we have no smoking section, no smoking restaurants now. But this house was filled with smoke. And it wasn't tobacco smoke. What was it? It was sacrifice smoke. Why? Because there's an altar there in the heavenly temple. The earthly temple, made according to the pattern, had an altar of incense, which represents the prayers of the saints that ascend up to heaven. But also it had an altar of burnt sacrifice where animals had their throats slit and then their bodies were burned upon the altar and the blood dripped down upon Uh, that altar and the coals of that altar. This is an altar of sacrifice because there is such an altar on earth and there is such an altar in heaven where Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, offered His blood as the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice to cleanse all sin. It is the blood, the smoke from the sacrifice that fills the temple that Isaiah sees and smells and feels. What an experience he has had with God. He learns that God is holy. He learns that glory fills the earth. You will never know those two facts without the revelation of God in the Word of God. In this Word, we learn that God created the heavens and the earth. It is all full of His glory. And in this Word, we learn that God is not like us, just a little bit better. He is entirely different than us. He is holy. He is separate from sin. Where will you meet God Many go to church hoping to meet God, but then they don't meet Him there. Some even go to the Holy Land, if I could stand where Jesus stood, you know. And they don't find Him there. Where will you find Jesus? Will you find Him looking out the window of an airplane in the shape of a cloud? Will you find Him at the foot of your bed in a bright light? Or will you find Him in the Bible? I have found Him in the Bible. This is where God speaks to me. This is where I know God. This is where He has revealed Himself to mankind. So the upward look. Have you had the upward look? Have you met God in His Word? If you have met Him in His Word and you know Him because He has spoken to you by His Spirit from the Word, 
then you have had an encounter with the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible is not who you think he is. (laughs) Reading the Bible is kind of like being married. You know? My wife thought she knew who I was before she married me. But after we got married, she found out who I was. And likewise. Many people go to church and they have a passing uh, reference to religion. They hear sermons and different things. But they never get into the Bible itself for themselves. I'll tell you, you start reading the Bible, you go, Whoa, I had no idea that God talked like that acted like that, did those kinds of things. And then you will have a crisis of faith, just like married people have a crisis of love. Am I going to love this person the way they are? Or am I going to go looking for that person that I thought they were? Many people have ideas about God, but when they come to the Bible, they find that their ideas about God are not who he is. But this is who he is. If you want to know God... Do like James Bunker did five years ago. Start reading through the Bible in a year. That's what he did. He did it last five years. I started doing it more than five years ago, and I do it every year. I love it. And you know what? I sit in my lazy boy chair at night. I prop those feet up. I get a good light going, and I read about three chapters of the Bible. And you know, not all of it speaks to me, but there's always something that speaks to me. And then I take out my pen and I underline that word. And if it's really a good promise, I'll write it out in my prayer notebook because God speaks to me. And I keep a record of what he says to me. He speaks to me through the word. That logos, which is entirely true, becomes the rhema, a personal word to you. That's how God speaks Today, through His Word, by His Spirit, through His Son. Have you had the upward look? Do you know God? If you just know about God, or know about religion, or you have some ideas about God, you don't know Him yet. But when you, like Isaiah, see Him in His holiness, and you see that the whole earth is full of His glory, then you will know God. The second look is the inward look. The woe is me look. (laughs) He looks into himself and what does he say? Verse 5, woe is me, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you see God as he is, you will begin to see yourself as you are. Did you ever feel pretty good about your clothes until you walked into a fancy store? And you noticed in that fancy store, they didn't just have fancy clothes, they had mirrors. So you could see what you look like now, right? And you looked at yourself and you thought, you know, I think my wardrobe needs a little improvement. Did you ever feel that way? Yeah. You were feeling pretty good until you got in there and saw what they had and saw yourself in the mirror. Isaiah sees himself... Compared to God's holiness, he says, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. I am ruined. I am 
undone, I am unclean. His worship is not entirely positive, Joel. Yeah, there are people today that think that worship should be entirely positive. That only positive things should be said in worship. But I'll tell you what, if you have worshipped God and you haven't felt rotten at least once during that worship service, you didn't get your money's worth. Because true worship sees God as He is and then sees ourselves as we are. And the response is contrition and confession. And that's what He does. Now He's a good preacher for the first five chapters. He's been preaching Woe to you, Israel! Look at chapter 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And some of us are really good at pronouncing woes upon this world, aren't we? Especially if you watch Fox News and and you watch the Drudge Report and you, you... I pay attention to some of the things that are going on in the world, and you say, man, this world has got so much corruption, so much evil, so much wrong with it. And we Christians get really good at becoming good critics of what is going on in the world, especially if you listen to talk radio all day. But somewhere in that woe to you worldlings out there, there needs to become a woe is me. It's me. It's me, Lord. Woe is me. I'm a sinner. I'm in trouble. And if your church going just makes you more judgmental, makes you more critical, makes you more negative on this world, you didn't get the full picture yet. Because yes, this world is in a mess. The whole world lies in the wicked one. And the world is just going all in the wrong direction. But Isaiah said, not only is the people among me have unclean lips, but I've got unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips. I cannot serve a thrice holy God with a dirty mouth. What makes our mouth dirty? Jesus said, it is not what goes into your mouth that makes it you dirty. It is what comes out of your heart. Lies, Lord's name in vain, gossip, hatred, cursing, dirty stories, greed, foolish talk, pushy talk, mean talk. James chapter 3 says, if, if you could control your tongue, that little piece of flesh between your jaws, you'd be able to control your whole body. Because the tongue is the rudder. It's a fire. It's like a bridle on a horse. If you can control that, you can control everything. But the tongue can no man tame. You might be able to control every part of your body, but I'll tell you what, without the Lord's help, you will not control your tongue. My son Stephen started on a construction job when he was in high school. And he was not real verbal in his witness, but one of the men said to him one day, you're a Christian, aren't you? And Steve said, well, how did you know? He said, by what you don't say. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, 
what you don't say. You know, sometimes even what we don't say can be a testimony, right? Because people are watching us. People are listening. Sadly enough, some of us are real good at being good when we're out with people. We're good at work. We're good in the neighborhood. We're good at the stores. We're good in the community. But we're not so good at home. At home. Isaiah said, I've got a dirty mouth. I can't use this mouth for you. It needs to be cleaned up. And I can't clean it up. He felt dirty because his eyes had seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Job thought he was pretty good, and when his friends criticized him, he had good answers for all of them. He said, you're wrong. I'm not a bad guy. I'm a good guy. But when the Lord revealed himself to Job, all of a sudden he said, I repent. Sackcloth and ashes. Why? Because I've seen the Lord. If you're the kind of person who never has anything to confess, who never has anything to be sorry about, then you haven't seen the Lord yet. Because when we have seen the Lord, we then see our own sinfulness in a much clearer light. Peter, when he saw what the Lord was doing, he said, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Saul of Tarsus was considered a righteous Jew, a Pharisee. But when he met Jesus, his response was, what I counted gain, I now count as loss. Have you met the Lord? Oh, we love to sing Amazing Grace. But did you ever really listen to that first line? That saved a what? A wretch. Do you really think you're a wretch? Would you call anybody a wretch? What is a wretch? I don't know what it is. It doesn't sound good. You know, saved a wretch like me? Yes. When you know God's amazing grace, you know what a wretch you are. So what did God do for Isaiah's dirty mouth? My mother used soap. Did any of your mothers use soap? Yeah, she used soap on me. I still taste it. I don't know why. Yeah. He didn't use soap. The uh, Lord says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cauterize your mouth. Ouch. And so the seraphim takes a live coal from off the altar, and he's got the tongs. He's smart. He's not touching that thing. You know, he's got the tongs. And he takes a live coal from off the altar. I can just see Isaiah going... You're not going near me with that thing, are you? Yeah. And he touches his mouth. And what results is cleansing. You know, people so afraid to get saved. You ever notice that? People afraid to get saved. Afraid to get saved. They're scared of it. They got all kinds of fears about getting saved. They're afraid they'll have to go to church and dress up and all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly things. You know, what in the world am I? I'm going to have to quit doing this and quit doing that. You're so afraid of it. But I tell you what, when God saves your soul and he cleanses your sin, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And then the word of absolution comes. The most beautiful words you could ever hear. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. And that's not some earthly human priest sitting behind 
a, a little greeting in a little wooden room saying that. That's the Lord saying that. And when you hear that word of absolution, when you know that your sins have been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and you know you are saved, you are forgiven forever for punishment from your sins. It's a good word, isn't it? What a wonderful thing to have assurance of sins forgiven and a home in heaven. It's peace, isn't it? To know that. To know that we are acceptable to the thrice holy God because of the blood of His Son Jesus offered upon the altar of sacrifice. The live coal from off the altar had no doubt been touched by the blood of the Lamb offered there. Hebrews 9.11 says it this way, the New Testament commentary on this matter. Hebrews 9.11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Why are people drugging themselves up and boozing themselves up. It's because their conscience is bothering them. But that's not the answer. The answer to a guilty conscience is the blood of Christ. And when He cleanses your conscience clean, then you can face yourself in the mirror. You can face God on the day of judgment because your sins have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. What a cleansing. What a cleansing. Have you had the inward look? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Amen. Nothing there's a better detergent than the blood of Jesus. It continually washes us clean and keeps us right before God. So, Isaiah had the upward look. God is holy and the whole earth is full of His glory. He now has had the inward look. I'm a dirty-mouthed man and I need You to cleanse me, Lord. And the Lord sends that cleansing of His blood to Isaiah, and He is cleansed. When you look up, you feel good. When you look in, you feel bad. And then you experience His cleansing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? And then He has, finally, He's ready for the outward look. He's called to serve. 
Because worship and confession and cleansing must come before service. I talked to a lady one time. She was teaching a lot of Bible clubs. Boy, was she teaching. I've never seen anybody teach so many Bible clubs. And I said to her one time, I said, why do you do all this? And she said, well, I've been committing adultery a lot, and I feel like this balances it out. You know how the world looks at that? I mean, the world does look at that whole balance thing. I've got to give a lot of money to the church because, boy, I've really cheated a lot of people in my business. So I've got, you know, and they see this balance thing, you know? Don't get mixed up about this. So many people are trying to serve God because they have a guilty conscience. They're trying to get religious because they've got a guilty conscience. They're trying to salve their conscience with good works. And that's all out of whack. No, first, we find out who God is in His holiness. We experience the cleansing based on the death of God's Son, Jesus. And now, we're ready to serve. And now we serve God not to gain His favor but because He has saved us and we love Him. The triune God calls out, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And like a little boy in kindergarten, Isaiah goes, Me! 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 You know, the kid who doesn't know the answer, but still... You know. And then when you call on him, he's like, I don't know. He's so eager. He's so eager. He's, Here am I. Send me. Yeah. What a beautiful picture of a willing heart. A willing heart. You know, God will only flow in if he can flow out. He's like electricity. Amen. What an illustration the Holy Land is of this. You have the Sea of Galilee. It has an inlet and an outlet, and it's alive with fish. And down in the south, there is the Dead Sea, the lowest spot on earth. It has an inlet, but no outlet. It's rich in mineral deposits, but there's no life there. It is the Dead Sea. Which one is your life? Many Christians are like that Dead Sea. Man, they're learning, 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 learning. They're learning, learning, learning. And they take in so much stuff. But they don't give out. They're full of mineral deposits, I'm telling you. They are. But they're dead. God wants us to be like the Sea of Galilee, to have that inlet. Yes, to always be learning new things from His Word, but sharing the things that we learn with others. Amen? Share what you've got in your devotions that morning. Tell somebody about it. Tell God, tell others what, what God has spoken to your heart about. Share what He's doing in your life. What's fresh and new. People feel so afflicted and burdened by, I know I ought to witness more. Anybody ever feel guilty about witnessing? Yeah, me, I, yeah, sure. I feel guilty. Another sermon on witnessing. Oh, no. no we, and we just feel guilty, guilty, guilty. 
No, but when we have that fresh encounter with God and we share the fresh encounter with God with others, that is the witness that God wants us to be. He yields Himself to God. He yields Himself, Romans 12, 1 and 2, as a living sacrifice for God. And what does God say? Verse 9, go! Go and tell. Tell other people what you have seen and what you have heard. Tell other people what you have experienced. I'm not talking about a sales talk. I'm not talking about a sales job. I'm talking about sharing with others what you have experienced with God. And and then in verses 9 through 11, he tells Isaiah, I got to tell you ahead of time, uh, they're not going to listen to you. Look, see that? Go and tell his people. They're going to they're listen, but they're not going to perceive. They're going to look, but not understand. They're going to have insensitive hearts, dull ears, dim eyes. Otherwise, they would understand and return and be healed. He says, I'm telling you ahead of time, most of them are not going to listen to you. Hey, Jesus told his disciples the same thing. The parable of the salt for soils. What to expect. He said, you're going to scatter the seed on four kinds of ground, but only one of them is going to respond with life and fruitfulness. Here he says to Isaiah, it's worse than that. 90% of the people you're going to preach to, it's going to make them more hardened. It's going to make them more dull and more insensitive. Because when you hear the Word of God and you don't respond, your heart becomes harder and your ears become deafer. More deaf. Yeah, that's better. The Word of God will either draw you to God as you respond positively, or it will harden your heart if you turn against God's Word. He says most of the people that listen to you are not going to respond positively. Well, how long do I have to do that? Verse 11. That's a, that's a good question that any missionary or pastor or minister of God, any servant of God might have to say, how long do I have to do this, Lord? How long? And he basically says, you're going to do it, Isaiah, until everybody's gone. Or at least 90% of them are gone. There's only 10% left. Because I'm going to chop down this tree and there's only going to be a stump left and then we're going to have a forest fire after that. It's not going to be pretty. I want you to preach until they're all gone. You say, well, <laughs> Lord, I want to be successful. I want the numbers to go up, not down. I want the dollars to go up, not down. I want to be successful. Lord, can't I be successful? Jesus says, if you are faithful, they're going to treat you the way they treated me. That is, most of them will reject you, a few will believe, and will follow the Lord. That's what you can expect in ministry. And if some of you, I know some of you are thinking about going into full-time ministry, you say, it's going to be wonderful, you know, everybody's going to get saved. Hey, uh, what to expect? You're going to share the gospel everywhere you can. You're going to do whatever you can to get the gospel out. And most people are not going to hear, a few will. My sheep will hear my voice, and they will, they will follow 
But most people will not. You know, some of us thought when a certain movie went into the theaters that, wow, the whole country was going to get saved. Or after 9-11, boy, everybody's going to get saved. Hey, it's an amazing thing. We find that we don't get any better response than Jesus got. We are always going to be a remnant. True believers will always be a remnant. And God has not called us to be big and rich and famous. He has called us to be faithful to His Word, to preach His Gospel, to preach Christ, and leave the results up to Him. The picture that he uses here, he mentions a tenth, and then he mentions a stump. (laughs) A stump. You see that verse 13? There'll be a tenth subject to burning like a terebinth through an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Look at the holy seed in Isaiah 11 and verse 1, please. Isaiah 11, there shall be a root. Then a root will spring from the stem of Jesse. Verse 10, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. There is a root and stem of Jesse. Who is that root and stem of Jesse. Look at Isaiah 37.31. Isaiah 37 and 31. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. That's what God wants to do with His stump. He wants it to get its roots down into the Word of God and to get that fruitful branch growing up. And then look at John chapter 12 and verse 41. John, the Gospel of John. Do you know that this passage of Scripture, the part about the fact that nobody's going to listen when Isaiah preaches, that whole stretch of verses is repeated in the New Testament over and over again. All four Gospels mention it. And Paul mentions it twice. Why? Because people wanted to know what we can expect from Gospel ministry. We can expect God's Word not to return void, but to accomplish that to which He sent it. Here in John chapter 12, and verse 41, after quoting the passage from Isaiah about how he's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they won't see with their eyes or hear with their ears. These things Isaiah said because he saw his, that is Jesus, glory. And he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him. The Bible tells us that Isaiah was seeing Jesus, a Christophany there in Isaiah chapter 6. I had a lesson to learn in my first church. My first church was a storefront church in Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia. It was an old shoe repair shop. And uh, it was about 30 people in that church. And uh, uh, some mornings, they all lived within a block of the church. I knew where all of them lived, and I knew where they all were pretty much. And on a Sunday morning, when some of them were missing, I used to get mad. So I knew they'd stayed up to watch The Late Show. And then they didn't feel good in the morning, you know, and didn't feel like going to church. And I used to look at those empty seats, and I'd get mad. And then I thought, I can't preach. I'm not right with God. I'd confess my sin, and then I'd preach, you know. But those empty seats were bothering me. 
And God put some thoughts into my mind. He said, you know, the people in the full seats have a lot of needs. Why don't you just talk to them? And then he reminded me if I'd been the only one that showed up, I had enough needs in my own life, I could have preached that sermon to myself. So I began preaching to the full seats instead of to the empty ones. I began preaching to the people who looked interested, not the people who were just there. Because I have learned that God wants me to reach the reachable and teach the teachable. To reach out to those whom God is drawing. And to work with those that he gives to me, whether it's a little church or a big church or whatever, that he gives me the opportunity to speak to. To be faithful, to preach his word, to preach Christ, to preach the gospel, and let the Lord bring the results. Isaiah did what he did because he saw what he saw. So the question is, have you seen the Lord? Do you know that he is holy, holy, holy? Do you know that the whole world is full of his glory? Have you heard him speak to you through his word in a saving, sanctifying way? Secondly, have you seen yourself for who you really are as a guilty sinner before God? Do you recognize in light of his holiness that you have a dirty mouth and need to have it cleaned up? And then thirdly, have you seen the world full of God's glory and yet in need of God's gospel? God is saving a remnant today through the gospel. He is at work through that stump, that seed, that root called Jesus, bringing about spiritual life in dead people, giving light to the blind. So, has God spoken to you? Is God speaking to you? I'd like to challenge you in a very practical way since it's the last day of 2017. Tomorrow is the first day of 2018. How many of you have ever read the Bible all the way through at least once? Okay. God bless you. It's not easy. It's not easy to do. It's a big job. Big job. But if you have never done that, I am challenging you right here today. If you're going to take something out of this service that you're going to do, not just listen to, but actually do, I would encourage you to say, you know, tomorrow I'm going to start reading through the Bible in a year. It takes about three chapters a day. It'll take you about 20 minutes a day. Now, the gyms are all going to be full this week. You know that. But I'm suggesting that if you're going to make a resolution this year that bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. It has promise of the life that is and of the life that is to come. I would encourage you to to take up that habit that Jim Bunker had and just read a few chapters. There's all different kind of guides. You can get them online. You can listen to it. There's all kinds of ways to do this. But I would encourage you to say this year, I am going to meet God in his word. I'm going to read through this book this year with the intention of knowing God. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me. Here's where you will meet him, and he will speak to you, and he will change your life. Let's bow in prayer. If God has spoken to you about something today, would you just talk to him? I want to give you a little time of silence to talk to the Lord. Maybe there's a sin to confess. Maybe there's 
an area of yieldedness, but just talk to the Lord. Have a conversation with the Lord right now. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We're sorry for all the ways that we have failed you. In this past year, we've done things we shouldn't have done. We've failed to do what we ought to have done. We have regrets. We confess our sinfulness to you. And we're asking that this new year, which begins tomorrow, would be the best year of our lives. Because in it, we will walk with you. We will listen to you. We will speak to you. We will speak for you. And Lord, we can't do this ourselves. And so we ask you to touch our lips, to touch our lives, to cleanse us, to fill us, to change us for your glory. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our deacon for the day is Mark Massengill, and Mark will come to lead us in prayer. And after that, let's sing together and to one another, God be with you till we meet again. Mark, if you'd lead us. Pray with me, please. Father, as we look back on 2017, our, um, our joys, our triumphs, our failures, our challenges, our losses, and we turn the, the page on a new calendar, 2018, that our hope is not in a piece of paper on a wall or on our smartphones or computer, but it's in that manger that we just looked at a week ago, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, the hope to make everything right with us personally, with our fellow man, and most importantly with you, is in that child and the sacrifice for us. We lift up the mission of the day, John Wilburn from Baptist Mid-Mission, as he takes this truth and plants in churches and teaches to them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>